Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 12. We'll be looking at the first 13 verses in Exodus chapter 12. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, and a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. So you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh at night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt at night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord will stand forever. Exodus is one of the most foundational stories of God's people. The story of God redeeming his people from the house of Pharaoh, from the bondage of slavery, that they might be able to go and serve him and be a people set apart for him. If you want to be able to understand the story of the Bible, you need to be able to understand the stories of the Bible to be acquainted with them. And we need to understand that when we read the Bible, although they're written by very different authors, that this is one book, one story. It is not a library of books in which they just merely go and you can go find many different authors talking of many different topics. But we bind it together because it is one story of God. That the Bible is not written in a vacuum as separate stories, but one overarching story throughout the ages of history. Now you can pick up a story in a series of novels and you can fumble your way through it. 
you might be able to get acquainted with some of the characters, understand some of the stories. But the more you go through the story and understand the critical points and, and pieces in the puzzle, you could pick up the third book in The Lord of the Rings, and you might be able to understand who Frodo is, what he is trying to do and accomplish. But you'd be better to be able to go back to the first book to be able to understand how the third book relates. And Exodus is one of these stories that Christians need to be acquainted with, need to be able to understand. We come to the New Testament and we read the New Testament as New Testament Christians, which is good, which is right. But often what we do is we set a distinction between those pages of Scripture and say that the New Testament is all that we need and the Old Testament is irrelevant to us. The Old Testament is merely just a story of things how it leading up to the New Testament. But as you turn even to the New Testament, you need to understand that they were believers and their scriptures was the Old Testament. And they did not merely come and say that the Old Testament is irrelevant to us now. They actually showed that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You turn to the very opening scripture in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew. And to be able to understand the Gospel of Matthew, you need to understand people in the Old Testament. You need to understand the people of Abraham and David. Matthew, in his very first argument, shows that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Now, you might be able to fumble your way through the book of Matthew, but if you do not know who Abraham is, the promises God gave to Abraham, if you do not know who David is and the promises God gave to David, then you would be really fumbling your way through. And so to Exodus, the event of Exodus is critical for us to be able to understand as New Testament believers. These terminologies and phrases that are used throughout the Bible that often go over our heads. That here, Israel had all the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Israel had grown in their number. They had the sign of circumcision, but they did not have many markers that set them apart from other nations. They didn't have a land to be able to dwell in. They didn't have a temple to be able to go worship God in. A way to be able to worship God either. And God was going to give them a land and God was going to give them all these promises. Paul explains in Romans chapter 9 that the Israelites, they had all these promises. They had the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. And one of the great things that was given to the people of Israel is the story of Exodus and the event of the Passover. You might call it the sacrament of the Passover, the mystery of the Passover. Paul makes this point very clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says Christ is our Passover lamb. And if we don't understand what that means, then we're not going to understand what Paul, as a New Testament believer, is talking about. And so these chapters don't merely just speak about an event, but the event of Exodus, which is foundational in understanding, as this event points to the shadow of Christ in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New so what do we see about this event of the Passover? Well, we see it as a new beginning. Every culture has something that sets them apart. They have food, songs, art, language. And every culture almost has its own calendar. 
And what I mean by that is most cultures today follow the same calendar system, the Gregorian calendar, the markers throughout the years with their months and days, 365.25 days, and they follow that rotation. Say, for example, in, July, in Australia, we have the 4th of July. But what it is, it's just the 4th day of July. We have the 3rd of July, the 4th of July, and the 5th of July. Nothing special happens on the 4th of July. However, there's a marker in America where the 4th of July is set apart as a day in which is important to this nation. They celebrate this founding of America as a nation, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, a critical point where a new nation is formed and birthed. And so too, in the very first chapters of Exodus 12, we see a new nation with a new calendar, a new system of marking things. Verse 2 explains that this month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Do we need to understand this event is so critical? This is the birth, you might say, the, the 4th of July event for the people of Israel. Now, there have been a nation before underneath Abraham and the promises of Isaac. They've, they've had these many promises. They're, they're multiplied in number. They're, they're, Numbers are like a nation, but they're, they're not quite a nation yet. They don't have a land. They don't have all these things that Paul speaks of, the worship. So it's not merely just this slight change. It's a very important factor that they are now going to be a new nation with a new calendar. They are not going to be celebrating like the Egyptians celebrated and they're going to have a whole new calendar, and this whole new calendar is set apart based on this event of Exodus. And Israel had watched Egypt celebrate and worship their gods as seasons come and go, go down to the river. And now Israel would have their own calendar, where they would be reminded of God and what He had done for them, redeeming them out of the house of slavery. And Christians also have a calendar shift because of a big date. Now, I don't mean Christmas or Easter, but there's a huge shift in the, the fundamental early Christians is they stopped worshiping on Saturday and they start worshiping on Sunday. The day the Lord had set apart as the Christian Sabbath. The cycle had changed. They were to celebrate the resurrection of their Lord and Savior. Their hope of their new birth, their resurrection in that final day. Sunday would become the new marker of celebration where Christians gather to worship. worship. The one who conquered death on Sunday. Or Christians to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We'll see this clearly as we continue to walk through chapter 12. But here, Christ instructs His disciples that they are to celebrate the Lord's Supper until He returns. Do this in remembrance of me. An event in history that's shaped by a meal. The story of the Passover would be the beginning of a new calendar of that people of Israel. The second thing that we see in this is a new meal. Not only we see a new beginning, but we see a new meal or tradition started. 
And when we start to read the Bible, we see patterns and principles that help us understand why the early church began to do things a certain way. You see this, I think, again clearly in chapter 12 and as we continue to go through. It's interesting, as we read chapter 12 in Exodus, we'll see many of the connections to the Lord's Supper, as we've mentioned. But we'll see more than merely just those connections. We'll see connections to the birth, life, death, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the principles that you see throughout the New Testament is that the believers are often forgetful. We know we're forgetful. We remember we're forgetful, but we forget everything else. But time and time again, the Lord sets markers along the way for us to be able to remember what He has done. And the Passover becomes one of those things. A reminder for the people of God to be able to remember where they were and what God had done. A yearly celebration called the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where the people of God remember this glorious event about how God saved them from the house of bondage, from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. We'll see this as we continue, particularly in verse 14, the, the, the connection to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But we do need to understand many aspects of this first meal, this new meal, as we understand that practice and condition uh, tradition is for future meals. One of the important parts of this meal that was set apart was the lamb. You might say it's the important part. The Passover lamb, or as you see the, the goat, the, the Hebrew word morally specifically speaks of a young animal within those two families. About the age of one, we're told. In other words, take this lamb and to be able to keep it for the tenth, from the tenth day to the fourteenth day. Some have suggested that they bring the lamb into their house so that it becomes a part of the household, you might say. But the lamb served a very specific purpose. That lamb was to die instead of someone else in the house. The people were to be accounted for as many in the house. Some rabbis explained that the Passover lamb can feed between 10 and 20 people. So you need to be able to account for who's in your house. They would roast the lamb in its entirety. There would be nothing left over. If there was anything left over, they would burn the remainder of the lamb. And they would take this lamb and they would shed its blood. They would eat its flesh. But they would do something very particular with the lamb's blood. This, I think, is one of the reasons they would keep the lamb for four days. Along making sure it was healthy. But what they were to see clearly is something that was living, died, so that they might live. They were to see this substitute who was shed their blood and taking their place. This is a powerful image that would have been seen by the children, by all the people. The father would have shed the blood. To be able to save a life. The father would have been covered in blood as he prepared this lamb. As he painted the lintels of the door. We often think about the Bible in clean terms. But clearly this image which was given 
your life will be saved by another's blood that was shed. That this day of death was coming. It was coming to the people of Egypt. And it was coming to the land of Goshen. Death was going to come. The question is who is going to die? As little children got up their day, they saw one who was going to die in their place. They saw their dad covered in blood of the one who was going to save them from death. See this clearly in verse 13 when the Lord speaks through Moses and says, the blood will be a sign for them. Now we often think the blood is a marker on the outside of the door that as God passes through, he knows which doors not to enter. But he says the blood is going to be a sign for you, a reminder of you, that someone is going to die. The question is who? The blood is a sign, just as the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant of the common grace of all mankind, because He wasn't going to judge the world through flooding it in its entirety. Or circumcision is a sign of the covenant of grace that God makes with Abraham of all the promises that He has given to Abraham. And the sign of the blood was to be a sign for the people of God, telling them that death has already come, and the Lamb has already died for you. The children, particularly the firstborn, would be ever grateful as they see that blood on that door. That lamb's blood was shed, not mine. Now we'll see this clearly as we go through. But it doesn't take long for us to be able to understand as Christ shares and celebrates the Passover with His disciples. And the connections in which they understand As we read through the New Testament, like when Paul says in Corinthians chapter 1 that Christ is our Passover lamb. He is the lamb that shed our blood. That His blood is a sign for us of how God came down to earth to be able to die for our sins. That Jesus is the one who died in our stead. His blood was spilled for us. Or more specifically, when we understand that that the flesh of the, the lamb was to be eaten. And Christ tells his disciples as he's celebrating the Passover. And he says, take, eat. This is my body. Turning later and then turning and, and saying in the wine and the cup. Drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood of of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Or as we uh, prayed before in our assurance of pardon, 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter says that the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The body of the lamb and the blood of the lamb had both specific functions in the Passover and now Jesus institutes this new meal without real blood or real body, but blood and body that we receive through faith. He is the lamb that was sacrificed once for all, that sacrifice to satisfy that divine judgment. 
We not only see the lamb, the blood, and the body, but we also see the unleavened bread. The whole feast, which was a week long, would be called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This becomes an important aspect when we're thinking about the story of Exodus. That through patience and long-suffering, God, time and time again, shows forth His signs and wonders that repentance might come from Pharaoh's heart. But in the end, God's people are set free. And in chapter 12, we see this new meal. That as they are to eat this new meal, they are to leave at any point. See this clearly in verse 11. With your belt fastened, your shoe sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat this meal in haste. We understand this principle very well in our house. Everyone says they're ready to leave until you say, are you ready to leave? Then you realize how unready they are. They don't have their socks on, they don't have their shoes on, or if they do, they're on the wrong feet, the wrong type of shoes. They've got their slippers on, they don't have their jackets or hats. But here, the very first Passover meal, they were to show that they were to leave with haste and speed. After 400 years of slavery, in a moment they would be free. They would no longer be slaves to Pharaoh, but servants of God. Free men and women. But one of these clear signs that you see this is in the sign, or the, the element, of the unleavened bread. If anyone's done any form of baking, particularly in bread, you realize there are no shortcuts. did this recently where I was seeking to be able to make a, a just small dinner rolls, and the recipe said 17 hours. Well, I don't know how they counted time, but you were to leave one thing overnight, you were to leave another for eight to six hours, you leave another for second rise for four to eight hours, and then leave it overnight in the refrigerator, and then you are just to bake it for 20 minutes. But the bread was to rise for a large amount of time. And so bread needs time to be able to rise. Now we have things like dry yeast that make it happy, but happen, but even in those situations, it's not a microwave meal. And the Israelites were to make their bread, and they were to make it without any leaven, because there would not be time for it to rise. You see this clearly in verse 39, when we see, and they baked unleavened cakes and the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because there was, they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor have prepared any provisions for themselves. Now we'll speak of this as the essential truths of unleavened bread and, and the feast of unleavened bread as this is really the principle Paul is applying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The third other thing that we see in this Passover meal is the bitter herbs. This meal was to include bitter herbs. A meal that was to be celebrated annually is also to be able to remind them what they have been saved from, what they endured from Pharaoh, that they were treated in this bitter and harsh way we see in the first chapter in verses 13 and 14. 
And this new meal they would celebrate every year as they seek to be able to understand this first meal that they had. The story of Passover was to be told during this meal. Children had a very important part to be able to play, to be able to pass on this tradition. They would ask six questions. As every, six, every child asked the question of why, so too they would ask the question of why. The six questions stopped after the destruction of the temple, but they would ask the question, why is this night different from any other night? This would begin to show that this meal is a remembrance of this story, the Passover meal. They would ask four more questions. Why do we eat unleavened bread? Why do we eat bitter herbs? Why do we dip our food twice? Why do we eat this meal reclined? Each of these questions brings us back to that night of Passover where they ate of this unleavened bread to remember how quickly they were to leave. They eat bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of the slavery in Egypt. They dipped their vegetables in salt water to remember their tears that were changed to gratitude as the second time they remember the sweetness of the suffering in, from bitterness to the sweet delight of their freedom. And lastly, they eat their meal reclined as the table, as free person reclines at the table. A servant is to stand and be ready at any time. And the host would explain the, the ten plagues of these signs and wonders that God did to be able to redeem and save the people of Israel. It would generally go over Deuteronomy chapter 26. And all of this started in Exodus chapter 12. We also need to understand that this is a meal to be done through faith. The people of God had seen these signs and wonders come and go. And yet, every single time this meal came and went, they were still slaves. Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, and things just got worse. And up to this point, nothing has changed. Now, of course, they didn't have the plates come to them on, and most of the times. But still, they spend their times as slaves under Pharaoh. One of the last times the people of Israel had spoken in the story of Exodus is in the end of chapter 5. When Pharaoh had given them a heavier burden for collecting their own straw, and the people said, and they met with Moses and Aaron, and they were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord, look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And when Moses had told them what was going to happen, how God was going to save them, their response was one we see in Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. And they didn't listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now they're told by Moses to pack their bags they're going. No. To eat this meal. This is a meal done through faith where they trust in God's word and his promises and in which he said... I will save you. If you put your trust in this lamb, in this word which I have promised. 
Pharaoh was finally going to let them go in an instant. And we know what's happening. We know what's going to happen. We need to understand that huge act of faith that the people of Israel at this point. Do we always trust in this lamb that was going to save their life? The author of Hebrews even points out that Moses did all of this through faith. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And as we read through these stories, like the story of Exodus and the Passover, we must always be on the lookout. Hidden in the pages of the Old Testament are shadows and types that point us to be able to see Christ. Augustine once said, in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. And Jesus rebukes the religious leaders in John chapter 5, explaining they search the scriptures looking for eternal life. But they point to Jesus, who gives eternal life. The religious leaders were looking, but they weren't looking for the right thing. More importantly, they weren't looking for the right person. Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, began expounding the scriptures to the two disciples who were with him. Things concerning himself. Like many of us, I'm sure we'd love to be able to have a copy of these disciples' notes from Jesus' lectures. But in some way we do. In the New Testament, where they show forth through all these types and shadows, the spotless lamb, the unleavened bread, the bitter slavery in which we were enveloped and lived. We should always be looking for Christ, for Christ is always there. And the hope is that we have the Lamb which has been shed, His blood in which it was shed, that we might live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give thanks unto you in your name. Lord, as we read the pages which you have written of old through your servants, such as Moses in the book of Exodus, that we have Christ revealed to us, the shadow of the one to come, the lamb whose leg was not broken, whose life was shed that we might be able to live, his body that was given. Lord, we pray that we would seek to be able to understand and look for you, earnestly searching the pages of Scripture that we might be able to know Christ, have fellowship with him in the resurrection and his suffering that we might share in those same things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m for his glory and his gospel.